Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Monday, November the 25th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're recapping Miami's loss in Cleveland, a second straight blowout, 41 to 24. We'll talk about the individual performances, give you my five takeaways from the game, and what happened to the clean performances we were getting out of this team so often. Plus, a busy weekend in college football, a big day for a former Dolphins quarterback who could help Miami out this season, and my locked-in quarterback rankings for the 2020 NFL Draft. Busy, busy show, but first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you leave us a rating, leave us a review, View from wherever you get your podcast from. Go ahead and follow me on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We reached a million views over the week, so thank you all for that. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. We start as we do weekly here on the Recap Podcast, going over the five takeaways from the game. Just five general observations I think you can take away for the long term and the interim with this football team. And the first one is more of an interim basis, and it's just the flat, unprepared nature of the Dolphins showing today in Cleveland. They came out completely unprepared for what the Browns had to offer with Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield and a talented offense, no doubt about that, going up against a defensive roster for Miami that is so far undermanned at this stage of the season with all the injuries, no more McCain, no more Jones on top of not having Xavier Howard. The front seven didn't play all that well, and the Browns are kind of hitting their stride at the right moment right now and Brian Flores and company had no answer for that Cleveland offense and the weird part on the other side of the ball was the roster configuration that the broadcast crew mentioned a couple times with Miami's active list and the fact that they had five backs up for the game with Chandler Cox and Miles Gaskin and even Delance Turner active for the game on Sunday with only Albert Wilson, Jakeem Grant, Alan Hearns and Devontae Parker active at receiver and they mentioned the Dolphins can't run the ball worth a lick right now we'll talk about that here in just a minute so why why wouldn't you have more pass catching options in the offense on your active roster? And then when you lose two receivers, then you're left with only 12 personnel options from that point forward. So Miami put themselves behind the eight ball. They had way too many penalties in this game, more than double the penalty yardage they've incurred on an average per game basis with 94 penalty yardage in this game against Cleveland. And yeah, some of those flags were probably unwarranted, but still the Dolphins were just shaky throughout the first half in this game. And it led to a 28-0 deficit in that first half. And we'll go ahead and transition into a positive here. And the second takeaway was that second half fight the Dolphins put up to climb within 11 points of this Browns team. It was 28-17 at one point, and the Dolphins had their best third quarter of the season, blanking the Browns 14-0 in that third quarter, coming out and staying with the plan, staying true to both Ryan Fitzpatrick and Brian Flores and their game plan 
for this contest. They came out with some points, got back into the game, and put Cleveland back under some urgency, and that was good to see a team come back and fight because it's so easy to go into a locker room down 28-3 as they were. They added a late Jason Sanders field goal in the first half, but to come out and show some fight really speaks to the character of this team, the character of the coaching staff, and the fact that they have bought into the coaching staff. So if we're going to knock them for that first half, we have to praise them for that third quarter. Fourth quarter, things got out of hand, but I do like the fact that this team can rally around Ryan Fitzpatrick and they have a galvanizing force in that locker room. That's going to be such an important thing to remember going forward as we approach this offseason and the acquisition of potentially a franchise quarterback leadership and galvanizing the locker room. Very, very important for this regime. The third takeaway, we talked about it. The complete lack of running game has completely ruined this offense and thereby ruining the team in general because this defense is just not good enough or deep enough to get themselves back onto the field after quick three and outs over and over and get quick takeaways on their own end or just stop the opposing offense on their own end. It's just not going to happen. And the lack of running game has had that big ripple effect because the Dolphins are zero threat to run the football right now. They're only running rushing opportunities come from scrambles by Ryan Fitzpatrick. In fact, he had 45 yards rushing in the game. That was more than double Miami's top back in Patrick Laird, who had 20 rushing yards better than Kalen Balazs' 19 rushing yards in this game. Balazs is just not the answer. We've talked about it over and over again. No lateral agility, no ability to find the cutback lanes. He has just dreadful vision. That was his knock coming out of Arizona State, and it has not changed. And this kind of goes back into takeaway number one. The fact that they're still running these outside zone concepts with Kalen Balaj make no sense to me because you have to have good vision and an ability to cut back and find those cutback lanes in a zone running scheme and Balaj has neither. That's the biggest mystery for me this season so far but I won't go too overboard on that idea because I think Patrick Laird at times looks very overwhelmed by the speed of the game and that really shows up in pass protection opportunities so I guess we're just going to grind this thing into the ground with Kalen Balaj. I mean we can't complain too much right? If they're going to play Ryan Fitzpatrick and keep you in the game that way, the least they can do is erase the running game and make things difficult on him for the sake of the tank by not being able to run the football, being one-dimensional, and allowing the pass rushers to pin their ears back and go hunt quarterbacks, and it has completely crippled this team in all phases of the game. Takeaway number four, we're going to talk about some individuals here. I think Eric Rowe and Jamal Wiltz have been nice finds on the back end. I think they should probably offer Eric Rowe a new contract at the end of the season, and it would be reflective to the idea that he's expected to be your second or third safety in the, in the lineup on Sundays, we'd talk about this a million times before. The Patriots defense is known for running three safety packages more than they run nickel packages with a slot cornerback. They'll use a third safety to come down and cover in the slot. They have safeties on the field, three of them, 60% of the time. So Eric Rowe, to me, fits one of those roles. I think he's an incredible run fitter on defense, and he does a good job covering the tight ends, as he has done in recent weeks. And Jamal Wiltz just tackles so well. He makes the defense such a better tackling defense when he's on the field. I don't think he's a starter, but you get a guy like that on your dime package defense in the future, and you can rally and tackle. He's a nice piece to have out there. And I also think Devon Godshaw and Christian Wilkins have been a nice pairing inside as defensive tackles on this roster. I think that you can get some depth behind those guys, but they both do so well at holding the point of attack after shooting their hands and standing up the offensive line. They have been really good inside together, and I think if you can get guys behind them, keep them fresh, you can then really set your defense up to get into third and longs with run 
run stops at, with them at the forefront. Of course, once you improve your linebacker play in that area too, we'll talk about that in segment number two. But Devon Godshaw and Christian Wilkins are here for the long term, in my opinion. Wilkins, obviously a first round draft pick this year, but I think that Godshaw will get a contract extension. So I'm handing out money, giving Godshaw an extension, giving Eric Rowe a new contract, and we're going to take a break before our fifth takeaway here. And that's going to involve another contract extension that I would offer. We'll talk about that next. But first, if you're not performing like you want to when it comes to the bedroom, then let's talk about your quickest route to a contract extension. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever your number is called. Blue Chew is not just for guys who can't perform. It's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. It's prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. And right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code MLB. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code MLB to try it for free today. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I teased the fifth takeaway from the game on Sunday, the loss in Cleveland, Miami second straight and the ninth of the season as the Dolphins fall 41 to 24 to Baker Mayfield, Jarvis Landry, Odell Beckham, and that talented Cleveland Browns roster who have now climbed up to five and six after three straight wins. And they look poised to make a push towards the playoffs as Miami falls to two and nine on the season with just five games left on this very, very difficult and very, very challenging season for the Miami Dolphins. But one of the takeaways from this season is general is the highlight of the players that maybe have stepped up in a way that we hadn't expected prior to this. And that's the fifth takeaway for today's podcast, the Sunday night slash Monday takeaway podcast, the recap podcast here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. We are part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Is Devontae Parker and the fact that he deserves, in my opinion, a contract extension. Yes, he's under contract for very cheap next season, but the way he has rededicated himself to the craft and gotten himself into a position where he not only is healthy and out there every single week, he's producing big-time stats every single week. 91 more yards today, six catches, didn't find the end zone, but he made a couple of big plays down the field and darn near pulled in a hell of a catch up the sideline on a play that got batted around a couple times by both he and Denzel Ward, the cornerback in coverage, and he was about a quarter inch away from getting his toe tapped on a nice concentration play. Devontae Parker would set a great precedent for the rest of the locker room that no matter what you've done in the past, who you've been before, if you dedicate yourself to this program and this team and work your butt off, you can earn a contract extension. And if the Dolphins do it this offseason before Parker's contract expires next offseason, I think right now you probably could get him at his cheapest because if he stays healthy and keeps doing this, that price tag only goes up and you have so much money to play with in the future. You could do a Jakeem Grant type of deal where it pays him well so long as he's available and healthy and meets certain marks throughout the course of that contract but get it done now be done with it and have he and Preston Williams your two best receivers two of the brightest spots on this roster locked up for the foreseeable future so those are your five takeaways 
Let's spin this thing forward now and get into the individual breakdowns. You guys can find this article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And the game in general, before we talk about the position players, just the stats were very lopsided in this one. And Miami made so many critical errors in areas they were excelling in prior to this game. We talked about the penalty yardage. They had eight penalties for 94 yards. That is just way too much. Cleveland did have seven for 70, but the Dolphins got out past 320 to 192. They racked up 92 rushing yards somehow. Half of that, of course, was Ryan Fitzpatrick on scrambles, but they did not run the ball effectively at all in this game. Cleveland, on the other hand, had 147, so they outgained Miami 467 to 284. The Browns were four for eight on third downs, 50% conversion. Miami was 40% conversion on third and fourth down, six for 15. The Browns got four sacks. Miami had just one, and the time of possession was lopsided in the Browns' favor, 36 minutes to 24 minutes. And the lead of the story up on LOD.com refers to the Dolphins' historical nature in the early part of the season back in September and how Miami was basically on track to match all the league's worst all-time teams in the history of the NFL. But then, after the bye week, they had this linear progression that culminated in the back-to-back victories over the Jets and Colts, which had people, like myself included, for instance, thinking that a 5-11 and finish with wins over the Jets, Bengals, and Giants, or maybe even last week against the Bills, we thought that was possible. But now, after you look at the way this roster has been devastated by the injury bug, and how many of these possession groups are just down to the bare studs of this house. And really, Miami can't afford to withstand anything else beyond this point, and there still are five games to go. So you have to believe that Miami is dogs in most of these games, except for the one at home against the Cincinnati Bengals in Week 16. And just before we turn this thing forward to the individual performances, the flags the refs decided to go with in this game were so just mind-numbing and frustrating, giving out guys help. It seemed like every single time Odell or Jarvis asked for a flag, regardless of the contact that was made, they got it. All they had to do was turn around to the ref, say, hey, that was a flag, and the flag came flying in because it was guys like Nick Needham and Ken Crawley who just aren't going to get the same benefit of the doubt as players with the caliber or the players that have the accolades of a Beckham and Landry. So that was disappointing, but still, it didn't make the ultimate difference. And what did make the ultimate difference for Miami, not getting completely blown out like a 49-0 drubbing in this one, was Ryan Fitzpatrick and how much fun it's been to watch that guy play quarterback. He extended so many plays and got off the spot once again under pressure. He moved the chains with his legs. And yes, he did access full pterodactyl screech mode and Frank the tank from old school with Will Farrell on Mike Gesicki's touchdown. I have the videos of both those up in the article on LockedOnDolphins.com. Go check those out. Fitzpatrick did have two turnovers. The first was a pass that bounced off the face mask of Albert Wilson. But is there a better quarterback to lead this this specific Dolphins football team, the 2019 Miami Dolphins? The way he's galvanized the locker room and the energy he brings to me is the only way this roster was going to stay up and stay intact through this very challenging, difficult season. And now it's kind of starting to make sense why they would bring Ryan Fitzpatrick in to help them establish that culture and get that buy-in from the young guys. So Fitzpatrick, to me, start him the rest of the way. I would rather have him be the one out there leading this charge because I know what Josh Rosen does for this offense the way it's built right now. And the part of the way that it's built is the fact that the running game is just completely non-existent. Again, they got themselves 92 rushing yards in this game. But Kalen Balaj, again, 10 carries, 19 yards, once more, 1.9 yards per carry. 
He is on track to become the first running back in the history of the league to have 100 carries and less than 200 yards, a less than two yard per carry average. And I think his most entertaining moment of the game came when he took that wildcat snap. And you guys remember the scene from the longest yard with Adam Sandler when Brucey asks why he can't play quarterback. So Sandler tosses in the ball and Brucey gives it the old and then chucks the ball over his head. And Balazs' rampant footwork on that play reminded me so much of that scene when Brucey tried to get himself into the quarterback position, but Balazs nonetheless could not find Devontae Parker. Big surprise there. His lack of vision and the inability to run in the outside zone scheme has been just a perfect combination of bad running game and bad football for the Dolphins this season up front. Patrick Laird got a few reps, but I still look at him as a guy who's a little bit overwhelmed by the moment. The game moves kind of fast for him, and he has not been good in pass protection. That's probably why... You haven't seen more of Patrick Laird so far. We talked about Devontae Parker at the wide receiver position. Six grabs, 91 yards. If you prorate his season right now, he's up to 67 catches, 1,011 yards, and six touchdowns. He's been consistent that way. And so has Alan Hearns, another four catches for 42 yards in this game. And he typically uncovers on slow developing routes underneath, like drag routes against man coverage or hookup routes against zone coverage. But Fitz has a very, very secure trust in Alan Hearns and we see that every single week. He also loves himself some Mike Gesicki. He talked about it post-game, how much he really does have an affinity for Mike Gesicki, the kid, kind of bringing him along at the tight end position. Well, Gesicki caught his first touchdown of the season today on Sunday, and it was a nice moment for he and the team. They all kind of surrounded him and gave him his dap, but I was most impressed by Gesicki's block on a certain run in the second quarter, I think it was, off the outside edge, double Y tight ends. Both he and Durham Smythe nailed great blocks to seal the edge and create a lane for Kalen Balaj running off that edge. The offensive line, we've talked about it. They get no push in the running game. Julian Davenport was back at left tackle and Shaq Calhoun was back in at right guard for Evan Bame. I don't think either of them played well. Calhoun, they tried to get him out in space on a few blocks and he whiffed. And his pass protection on that right side, the pairing of he and Jesse Davis gets beat so often. It's tough to watch. And then Daniel Kilgore had some really tough reps against Sheldon Richardson, who just feasted on that Dolphins interior offensive line. We talked about Wilkins and Godshaw on the defensive line. On the other side, the way they can shoot their hands and hold the point, that's fun to watch. Charles Harris now, he's listed as a linebacker, but he's playing really well the last three weeks in a limited role. He had a sack today where he basically reset the right tackle by pushing upfield, transitioned back underneath, and had a successful bull rush right into the lap of Baker Mayfield. He's had some plays against the running game as well. And then Gerald Willis on that defensive line. He definitely looked like a rookie in this one as he got rolled out of the plays a lot in this game on Sunday. And speaking of getting rolled out, the linebackers, this was not their best showing. Raekwon missed last week. He came back this week and he looked a little more passive attacking contact and trying to beat blocks. He was not his usual heat-seeking self. He was absorbing the contact opposed to dishing it out and that resulted in some big runs where I thought he could have shut the play down near the line of scrimmage. And Jerome Baker... He is such an interesting piece going forward because I think he's a good player, but I wonder if he actually fits what the Dolphins want to do. He's not big enough to consistently fit the run, and he's not enough of a pass rusher to consistently make an impact against the pass because in this defense, the Patriots type of defense, they want linebackers that can affect the passing game as rushers, and that's not really his game. We thought maybe Andrew Van Ginkle might be that guy in his debut, but I don't think he saw the field unless it was late in the fourth quarter by the time I already turned the game off, if I'm being honest. But he did have a nice tackle on the kickoff team, and you guys can find that video on the post 
post-game article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And then the defensive back, no McCain, no Jones. Ken Crawley left the game with an injury. I think Ryan Lewis has some moments and might be a piece going forward. Nick Needham had some moments, bad and good. A lot of penalties and downfield strikes on him, but he did compete with Landry and Beckham throughout this game. I just thought he had kind of his confidence shot early in this game when Beckham got those flags and he really was helpless at that point because he wasn't doing anything wrong. And then Eric Rowe making some good plays back in the secondary. He diagnosed a nice screenplay early on. Jamal Wiltz loved the way he tackles in the slot. Talked about him in the earlier segment. And Steven Parker was just a beat late a few times in pass coverage in this game. So all things told, a mostly poor performance from your Miami Dolphins. They at least bounced back and showed some fight in the third quarter. But I think we saw on Sunday how big of a discrepancy the talent issue is between they and some of the teams, even in the middle of the pack of the NFL. We know the Browns' biggest issue is their coaching and their talent is all get out, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And we saw that, I think, on Sunday. We're going to come back on the other side. I'll talk about Jakeem Grant, Albert Wilson, and the future of the structure of this offense. We're going to talk about the tank, draft positioning, college quarterbacks, a whole lot more to come here on the other side on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. But first, this message from Away. Away creates thoughtful products designed to change how you see the world. For $20 off a suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on during checkout. The entire 2019 calendar year has basically been one giant exploration in roster building and different philosophies and prototypes across many positions for this Dolphins football team. And I think we're going to continue that into 2020 and probably beyond as this rebuild really is still in the infancy stages going into the end of year number one. And one of the things I've been thinking about as far as the way they might structure this offense, given the black holes they currently have on the offensive line in the backfield and the fact that they need a franchise quarterback behind Ryan Fitzpatrick probably as soon as next year, if not the latest 2021. And even then you have to go after veteran quarterback options, but that's neither here nor there. The Dolphins are going to have to remake a couple of position groups on this offense. And it got me thinking about what the receiver room could look like going forward as now Albert Wilson looks like he's injured again and his production does not justify bringing him back for 8 million bucks next season. Jakeem Grant has an out after this year in that contract extension he signed and if he ends the year on injured reserve after taking an injury early in the year that basically prevented him from playing at all early on I don't know how you really work yourself back into that contract and commit a three-year deal to him because if you do commit this offseason you would then have three years in which you owe money to Jakeem Grant coming up after that and I just don't know how the front office can stand by that given the performance he's had and the health issues he's had this season. So if Mike Gesicki is best in 12 personnel with another tight end who plays, you know, kind of that Rob Gronkowski role, we're going to keep going back to Patriots comparisons, Aaron Hernandez and Rob Gronkowski minus the whole murdering thing. If you want Mike Gesicki to be your Aaron Hernandez, then maybe it's best to go after another big bruising tight end and then you can go 12 personnel heavy with Devontae Parker, Preston Williams, and then you bring Alan Hearns onto the field for the 60% of the snaps or so that you play 11 personnel with a slot receiver and you be a 12 personnel base offense with Hearns as kind of that flex guy as your slot, then your receivers are cheap. Your tight ends are pretty cheap. You can rebuild the offensive line with a bunch of cash and attack the running back position in the draft and your quarterback spot as well. Kind of my thinking there could be the best way to go with this team forward. Tell me your thoughts on that on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. 
And now we hard pivot over to the draft and the tank and the updates on the Steelers and Texans. We know by now that the Texans won on Thursday night, beat the Colts in a game they really had no business winning. And so did the Steelers over the Bengals, who just have no interest in winning games the rest of the way. So now Pittsburgh sits at 6-5 and five with games against Cleveland at Arizona, home for Buffalo at the Jets at the Ravens. The Texans go home for the Patriots, home for the Broncos, on the road at the Titans, on the road for the Bucks, and back home for those Titans. And that brings us into the next segment. Is Ryan Tannehill the most important player down the stretch for these Miami Dolphins? Now, he's got 10 touchdowns passing, three more touchdowns on the ground, four picks. He's 4-1 and one as a starter. He's completing 72% of his passes. And on Sunday, he had a 155 passer rating with a completion percentage just barely under 80%. He missed going over 300 yards because of kneel downs at the end of the half. That in total yardage, of course, 40 rushing yards, 259 passing on just 18 throws. And the Titans are scoring 29.4 points per game since he took over. That's up from 16.3 points per game when it was Mariota. So hopefully he keeps that up because they have Houston twice. They could knock them out of the playoffs potentially, or at worst case scenario, keep themselves in a wild card spot ahead of Pittsburgh, who just continues to find a way to win games with luck at the end of games. So that pick could go from being in the mid 20s into the top 20 if Pittsburgh stays out of the playoffs. And as far as Tannehill's success is concerned, I'm going to address it here on the podcast. I'm not all the way there on taking a victory lap for the Tan Man, for Tanny, but I've stretched out and I've begun to light jog because it's getting close to time to take the victory lap on that evaluation. And really to date, the last couple of years since I started doing this was my only big red flag as a quarterback evaluator. So I guess, hey, go me. It's my podcast. I can brag if I want to. But it is looking more and more like right now that the Texans and Steelers picks both will come in the late teens and into the 20s for the Texans case as they probably win the AFC South. And then there's the teams impacting Miami's first round or first pick rather in the first round that pick in the top three right now. The Giants are ahead of Miami picking second in the current draft, but they do have some wins left on that schedule with a game with Washington and that game at home against Miami. Then there's Washington, who I think might not win another game. They barely pulled that one off at home against the Detroit Lions and Jeff Driscoll. And if the Dolphins want to beat the uh, Washington in draft position, they're going to have to match them because they do have the strength of schedule tiebreaker right now at 15 points better in strength of schedule. That's not a sure thing at this stage, but right now it looks good for Miami in that tiebreaker. The Jets and Bucks both got their fourth wins. I do think the Broncos, Falcons, and Lions, and Cardinals, all three win teams, will eventually get their fourth wins. So to me, Right now, it feels like a guaranteed top four pick, but I do happen to think they're pretty much done winning games, but so are the Bengals, which if you watch that game, my goodness, how many times will they blow chances to win games and how many lucky wins will Pittsburgh have in games they had no business winning? Just bad luck for Miami that way. So the way I see this thing finishing up is the Dolphins do beat the Bengals and go 3-13 and and get the second pick with a tiebreaker over a fellow 3-13 and Washington team on strength of schedule. That's how I'm calling it. 3-13, and second pick in the draft. So then what? Well, I published a controversial article listing my locked-in quarterback rankings up on LockedOnDolphins.com. So let's go ahead and dive into the article, Scouting College Quarterback football's top quarterback prospects in week 13. 
There are four performances in here from Jake Fromm, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, and Jordan Love. And I wound up with my ratings going like this. Number five quarterback for me right now locked in is Justin Herbert. And if you guys saw the game on Saturday night against the Arizona State Sun Devils, the same story with Justin Herbert, a big primetime game, a chance to change the narrative on the way he reacts to these big moments, a chance to possibly beat a good competitive NFL-style defense that Herm Edwards has in their 3-3-5 bare nickel defense they run at Arizona State, and he just folded in the most important moments, third down and long, any sense of pressure up the middle of the gut, and he really anticipates that pressure, and it affects his footwork, his mechanics. He gets heavy-footed and doesn't get away from the pass rush. We saw it snowball into bad decisions, lapses in accuracy. That is who Justin Herbert has been for four years, as somebody that has seen him for four years play those games at Oregon. Just trust me, this is not the guy you want to put the entire tank, the entire rebuild. Do not want to be put on the shoulders of Justin Herbert. My number four quarterback is a guy that I'm quickly souring on and Jake Fromm from Georgia. Too many stinkers and yeah, it was a mud bowl in Athens, Georgia, but you see the limited arm strength and the lack of real mobility from him. And Fromm really tested what I believe in my quarterback principles and I happen to think that one of two things has to be there. The big arm that can challenge every blade of the grass against the defense and force them to cover the entire field or an innate sense of pressure and ability to get off the spot with athleticism. I just don't see either of those in Fromm. And even though I think he has the intangibles to win with his pre-snap prowess and his accuracy, there's just not enough pop there for me to ever think he'll be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And that's the goal here. I want top 10 quarterbacks. I don't want game managers. If I wanted a guy in the 12 to 15 range, I would have kept Ryan Tannehill. My third quarterback is Joe Burrow, and I think he still goes number one to the Bengals, and I'll catch flack for this. I just need to see more from him in terms of another scheme, another system, another year for that matter. I think this year at LSU, he's been dynamic and almost perfect. I do question the arm strength. We saw that in the game on Saturday with some downfield shots that he was not really driving the football on, but I do think that he has it between the ears. He's athletic enough. He's a playmaker. I think he'll go to the Bengals, and that brings up quarterback number two, Jordan Love. The upside with this guy, the freaky, freaky arm talent is just that. It's freaky. I don't think there's more than three or four guys that can make plays like him walking this planet right now. Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, Jordan Love. That's pretty much it. Lamar Jackson's probably in there too, but he's not quite on this level. That shortstop slingshot arm is absolutely ridiculous, and he can get off the spot and escape pressure. He still makes crippling mistakes every single week, but my hope is that he's young and all the influx of changeover that Utah State offense has had. Top four receivers, top tight end, top running back, and offensive play caller all gone from last season's 32 touchdown, six interception season. I'm taking a chance on Jordan Love because the upside is the best quarterback in the NFL if he ever gets it figured out between the ears. And number one for me is still Tua. We heard a report early on Sunday morning that Ian Rappaport said, the doctors told Tua there's a greater chance of him getting mauled by a bear than there is of developing AVN, the degenerative hip condition that Bo Jackson had. 5% chance he develops that. So he's probably in the clear. Tua might get to throw before the team's draft in April. That's a 50-50 proposition at this point. I don't really care if he does. To me, I'm still taking him because I'm betting on Tua to get himself healthy, and he's a perfect fit for this offense, and the Dolphins will most likely have a chance to take a crack at him, whether it's the second pick of the draft, third pick of the draft. We'll debate Chase Young, Tua Tungavailoa, all that fun stuff, many, many podcasts 
down the future from now. And on tomorrow's show, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys my top five players at each position in the draft. I've scouted enough this year to finally be able to do that. We'll do that on tomorrow's show. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Tuesday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.